This is a Wild Gate Production Podcast. Welcome to the D&D World! And I've talked about this on the show a lot, but I only use game science precision dice. You know, I got suckered in by the Colonel in his like YouTube video. It's like, gather round, everyone. I'm Colonel Uzaki, and I'm here to tell you about randomness and manufacturing and how all your dice that you've been using are crap. Choose all natural game science dice made with the best polymers around. I think there's something to be said for the idea of if you're going to use a set of dice for essentially years and years and years, once a week, you should probably want them to be as random as possible, which is the only function they serve. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I really... I'm on your side. All right. Well, anyways, welcome to the Save or Die podcast, a podcast about classic Dungeons and Dragons. I'm one of your hosts, Crispy. I'm one of your hosts. I'm two of your hosts. No, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Carl's actually uh, the role of Carl tonight is played by Christian Bale. We're doing the Prestige. Uh, that's the kind of movie that stage magicians watch and just <laughs> bro, bro. <laughs> it's just like it, you know. Like me and my twin brother, we were running scams in Atlantic City. How dope was it when Michael Caine explained to the little girl how the Prestige works? Uh, you know, she talks about the Magician's Code. That's how I live my life. I apologize to anyone who listens to the show in uh, New Jersey. Uh, you can write in with your concerns to questions at saverdie.info. Ah, uh, jeez. All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's all right. We'll jump back in here. Yeah. I, hate, I hate everything right now. What is <laughs> Jesus? <laughs> Just got to get the giggles out. No, I mean, I literally, I don't know. I like... The whole concept of podcasting seems stupid right now. (laughs) (laughs) And then Carl left the show. (laughs) All right. And Carl, what have you been doing since uh, we uh, uh, talked to each other last? You know, stuff, things. Is this the gaming? Is this the what have you been doing in gaming? Yeah, what have you been doing? I ran 14 hours of Keep on the Borderlands at the Northeast Arkansas Game Fest, which is a charity event. That my brother and sisters run. I mean, since we last talked, I ran D and D on stage uh, at another con. Um, what? Yeah, I ran. That's a, what I didn't know about. I ran a uh, live D and D game at the uh, Expo Hall um, mm-hmm. of SpaCon, which is a uh, gaming convention in Hot Springs, Arkansas. I would hate to say. I mean, I hate to say I ran it for an audience of two hundred people, even though it sounds super cool. Because those 200 people were in the vendor hall, essentially, you know, there to shop and buy stuff. But I did have a pretty sizable portion of them come and sit down and watch. And I I had zero problem getting people to volunteer to come up and play the game. I was kind of worried I was going to have to, like, 
convince people to give it a try, but I literally had people running to the stage to get huh. to play D and D live in front of a, you know a bunch of strangers. That's pretty cool. I, it was, yeah, uh, amazing to me as somebody who uh, uh, isn't quite yet used to the idea of of, of D and D being cool. Yeah, I'm I'm a little like I'm a little hesitant about D and D being cool still. <laughs> I'm not hesitant about it. I want D&D to be cool. I've always thought D&D is... So So there was a time in my life, Crispy, confession time. There was a time in my life where I thought maybe I was getting to be too cool for Dungeons and & Dragons. And I, <laughs> I learned two truths after that time of my life. All right. D&D is cool. And yeah. I'm not. <laughs> I've never not thought D&D is cool. Because to me, it's like, oh, this is the coolest thing. But I also very much realize that D&D is not cool. Well, it is now, again, for the first time. But, like, I still keep it a secret. Like, I don't let people know. I, the, I, have, no, I have no shirts that have D20s on them or, like, the dragon ampersand or, like, art from a module. No, I, I keep it a secret. And I don't tell anybody because <laughs> to me, like I'm still that kid in high school who like brought his DMG to school in his backpack and was like opening up during lunch and like being super secretive about it because I didn't want anyone to like know. When my wife and I got married, she suggested that I do something Dungeons and Dragons like with my groom's cake because she knew it was just mm -hmm. such a big thing uh, that I, I, I've enjoyed. And she said, well, maybe you should put some miniatures on there and it could be like a D&D &D, like dungeon or whatever. To me, I was like, no, like, uh, I don't want to <laughs> like I was. What was I worried that at my own wedding, some guy was going to like smash my cake out of my hand? Nerd. <laughs> no, like, see, because like and I, I'm going to maybe offend some listeners with this and I apologize, you know, to you. But like, I, you know, I'm 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 engaged. I've been talking about marriage stuff and like. I'm the one who put the kibosh. I was like, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want any of that nerd crap. I don't want us to have like a Lord of the Rings wedding. I don't want any kind of like D&D &D stuff or like Star Trek or Doctor Who themed. Because like I want to be able to show people that like <laughs> I'm I want to become friends with what photos of my wedding and not have to like explain that portion of my life to them. The whole idea of that having like a star trek wedding for example i dislike the concept in general as much as i love fantastic genre fiction and all that i mean i love dungeons and dragons i love lord of the rings i love these things they're a big yeah. part of my life Steering your wedding around them is almost the message of these are just as important if not more important than this event and I don't agree with that. It's just not. I mean, we had a very traditional wedding with very traditional uh, themes and and choices. And it was just the way we wanted our wedding. Yeah, no, I'm in the same boat. Like, I, I know exactly what you mean. Because it's like, like, the thing I do at work is while I'm, I work in an office. So I literally just listen to pulp fantasy novels for like eight hours a day. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying I don't dislike these things. I, I really, really like them. It's just like, I don't know, man. I, I just want to have like a traditional wedding. I don't want to I don't want to dance the time warp at my wedding. I And I, I know for a fact, 100 percent, 
there are going to be multiple people who listen to this and be like, I did that at my wedding. You're a, you're a mean person for saying these things. And again, that's just, that's just me. That's uh, nothing against you. If you did that. Crispy, what did you do in gaming this? Uh, I talked. So I joined uh, an OD and D play by email campaign that uses chain mail as the combat system. We got a response from our last episode when I was like, Hey, people, please tell me about this if you've done it. Somebody actually reached out to us and then joined our Discord server, and we've been, like, chatting. He's been answering questions we have and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, we're we're in the first round of the first combat I'm involved in because it's played by email, and, you know, it's going to be slow going. But, um, yeah, I actually understand Chainmail a lot more now that I've actually read it in the context of making a character for it. And um, I'm super excited about it. Like. Uh, it turns out that I, I guess the thing that people did when they were running it was they actually used the mass combat rules instead of the man to man rules. And I guess there's some supporting evidence that the original version of Chainmail was actually man to man rules. And then they extrapolated it and made it one to 20 scale miniatures. So it was always meant meant to be this sort of thing. And yeah, it's been like super cool. Like uh, my cleric, I'm playing a cleric. Uh, he is from the, we're in Greyhawk. So he's from Narm and I worship Krom. And it's like, I'm, I'm also listening to the Conan books right now on audiobook. So that's like, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to be, I'm going to take Krom. And I get to do like all kinds of Conan curses where I'm just like, Krom. And uh, my, my cleric, you know, he fights as, as a, a normal man. And he defends as uh, heavy foot and attacks as light foot. So I only get to uh, roll it to hit rule if there's uh, me and another person attacking things. So that'll be really interesting when that actually works out. But I have to have a buddy next to me to be able to even score a hit huh. or to have the chance to even score a hit. Um, so that's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm like, I, I want to see how that plays out. Uh, and then uh, this past weekend, a uh, full-on gamer from Thaco's Hammer was in town, and I went and played uh, Avalon Hill's Naval War with him. And uh, he's got all these different variants that he created. Well, he has a Galactic Naval War, which is Star Wars, and then he has um, Starfleet Naval War, which is Star Trek, and we played through those. And uh, I won, so you boys, the best gamer who ever lived. <laughs> I'm undefeated in Avalon Hill's Naval War. I have retired champion, so I'm not accepting challenges at this time. But yeah, that's that's basically what I did. This is unrelated, but I do I what I think is a really good Arnold Schwarzenegger impression, which I know everybody thinks their Arnold Schwarzenegger impression is good. <laughs> See, I know my Arnold is bad, but like I speak German, so I can nail the accent. <laughs> well, the thing is, I can only do it if I go like "lol" for like five <laughs> minutes. Yeah. Until I find the right pitch. Those are called trigger phrases. Those are actually, uh, that's a skill that voice actors actually use in order to get in character. So I can't so, ever do it for anybody. I can't, because I'm like, well, first I gotta, like, just yell at you incomprehensibly for five yeah. minutes. You could go in the bathroom and do it, but then <laughs> okay. if you're too loud, I could see people, like, being like, hey, you okay in there? <laughs> Okay, buddy. Let's. You're making a lot of noise, and yeah, it's much like how I feel about Dungeons and Dragons. 
it would be too hard to explain. <laughs> I think we should get into the actual show topic. So as promised, we are doing uh, Gas 5, Gazetteer 5, The Elves of Alfheim. And boy, oh boy, do we hate this book. <laughs> Are you enjoying the show you're listening to right now? Great! Why not head over to patreon.com slash WGP and support that show for as little as dollar a month. Dollar a month goes a long way to helping support the network Wild Games Productions. Again, that's patreon.com slash WGP. Thank you. I, it's weird because people say that Gaz 4 is the weird one, and... I, I fully intend to continue to do the Gazetteer series. Um, but this one was real rough. <laughs> I, uh, Gaz 4 was like fun and weird and like had a lot of cool ideas about, you know, becoming king by your own hand at an adventuring tournament and stuff like that. And this one is just, uh, oh, it's, uh, there's a lot. There's certainly a lot of pages. Um, <laughs> But I think maybe only 20 out of the 93 are something that I would actually enjoy and use. I think one of the things about this Gaz compared to Gaz 4 and why we've had such a visceral reaction to it is I have zero opinions what the island kingdom of Yurindi should be like. I have yeah. lots of opinions of what elves should be like in a fantasy game. And it just happens that these elves don't match those ideas. Because of that, I have found this less enjoyable than I did the last one. Yeah, I never realized how much I don't care about fantasy world taxes. Like, it's something I don't care about. Like, it, I, I, it's not something I think it should be focused on. Um, this book definitely cares a whole lot about fantasy world taxes, and I wanted to claw my own eyeballs out. I actually used taxes when I ran uh, when I ran uh, B two, and when typically when I run B two, I tax all treasure that comes back to the keep. Um, mm -hmm. And and what I do is I provide ways for less honest people, I guess, to get around that. There might be a secret entrance or a sewer entrance or something like that. To the keep and it provides these kind of role-playing choices to kind of try to get one past you know it's just something uh, i think that's a fun way to implement it yeah what i don't like is the idea of elven taxes full stop i don't i don't think elves have taxes i don't think elves care about taxes uh it, it's funny that you say that just to interrupt i'm sorry real quick because the way the book sets up the elves is they definitely portray the elves in that manner like this is a group of elves that would not care about taxes but here's five pages about how elf taxes work <laughs> yeah i mean i think one thing to keep in mind is this is about the town of alfheim which is an elven town set up to emulate a human town yeah, And while I like that idea narratively, I think how I would run that, you would pay taxes in berries. Like, it would almost be insulting. Like, it would <laughs> it would almost be like, the, you feel like the elves are mocking humans, not um, completely so successfully emulating what a human town is like. I really like that. The, the thing that makes me take umbrage with it is... My idea of what D&D &D 
is over the years has gone very much because I was, you know, I, I started playing in 3.5. So it's gone very much from the simulationist end where I was like, yeah, it's so cool that there's rules for lava and how falling damage works to like, I want to swing off a chandelier, do three backflips and then like stab a dude and go, ha ha. That's that's all I want from my D&D experience. So things like how do taxes work? Don't worry about it. They work. I think we have a lot of negative things to say about this. Let's, I think, start and do a compliment sandwich Let's and start that. with the, the good stuff. <laughs> well, or we can it. say another bad thing. Let's say something nice about it. That's what yeah, we can do. So it doesn't feel bad about itself. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think, I, I wonder if this is going to be the case for the other gazetteers going forward, is that this is... This book, as it's written, is a great campaign setting. Or not a great campaign setting, but it's good as a campaign setting. Um, and I wonder if that's going to be the case for, like, Doors of Rockholm and, like, all the other gazetteers that we've missed or will review in the future. Which is kind of weird because, like, it takes place in a campaign world. But I think there's enough here where you could just have a campaign centered in only Alfheim. And that's your game. And you don't have to worry about the outside world of Mistara. Do we both need to say something nice about it before going on? I mean, like, uh, I, I don't know. I, if have, you have... I, have, I have nice things to say about this. Okay. I don't... Yeah. Say more nice things. I have like okay. notes of me. Well, I'll reiterate this point. I really do like the idea of the elves setting up this kind of town of, of like human emulation i don't know that they would do it for trade i would just play it up for the 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 comedy of that i'd like the idea of it though i like the idea of of the elves have invited you to their festival day and it's it's just they're they're i don't know i mean just kind of almost mocking humans i no, i i get exactly what you're saying like they like do something that's reminiscent of the human festival and like all the elves sort of look at you like how you react they're just like huh Huh? Yeah, we have a big feast too. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Look, look, we're just like you. Um, I th- there is a, a a a great cast of like detailed NPCs. Um, in this maybe a nice thing. Let's 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 say bad things now. <laughs> no, I was gonna do nice things up front and then bad things. Oh but no, like, no 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 no! I think we should go. Oh, nice thing, bad thing, nice, nice thing, bad thing, nice thing, bad thing, nice thing, bad thing. All right. Something we like um, something we didn't like. Here's the thing I hate. Uh, the first 40 pages of this book are just setting materials. It's there's so much focus on the why of things that it like completely strips out the like creativity of the DM. Like I, I really think it's cool that like Alfheim is in a um, it was in a once arid area that they terraformed to be elven but like i don't need to know how like i don't need to know about the rain ritual and then i don't need to know about the drainage system it's so dumb it's like why are there seven pages devoted to the sump i think it's it's one of those things where you know there there isn't a perfect balance for everyone but there is somebody who wants that much detail in their campaign setting and um it's something that someone like me who doesn't want it can ignore but it's not something that someone who does want it could 
add in because the reason they want this is because they don't have the time or inclination to create a detailed campaign. I, this is uh, this does something I hate in classic D&D is it treats all elves as elven adventurers. Um, and it's just uh, I, I don't like it. So they they talk about like the elven military the war bands as they're called, I believe in the, in the book. And um, they have fighter elves, magic elves and scout elves. And all of those things are just an elf who focuses on different elf magics, like different magic user spells. And it's like, well, no, you could have, you could have totally provided us with two new classes. You could have just given us elven magician or even three new classes Uh, you could have given us just like the elven wizard or the elven scout and have it work more like a ranger or something like that. And then given us a pure elven fighter, like a blade dancer or something along those lines. And it, I, it's like such a missed opportunity to just have all elves work the same. Like it would have been great to have, cause I know in gas later gases, you get like monster PC classes right, and stuff like that. And it was just, it, I feel like it's a really missed opportunity. Well, um, I, I think, I mean, I, I'm in a, a little bit of a different of opinion of you. I like the idea of all elves being inherently magical. That's one of my uh, strong preferences for uh, BX is that elves are just inherently magical. I like that in classic D&D, that elves are just a magical entity in nature, um, uh, in their natural state. But... In my games, they're so rare that that I make it a big deal when someone plays an elf. It makes a it makes a wave when they enter a town. I also like all elves being magical, like in to some degree. Um, but I think that having them all work like the elf class, the elven adventurer, I don't know, just takes it takes something away from the elven adventurer. I I, I still maintain that I think it's a, a missed opportunity to do something really interesting. With your elves. I guess like maybe it's because it was (laughs) this came out in the Beckme era where I I feel like a lot of the weird fantasy elements that were kind of in the roots of even in BX and and definitely OD&D were dropped and it sort of became corporate D&D. There's an interesting thing that happens. This is kind of getting a little off topic. If you look at the type of fantasy D&D is over the years, and it happens in the 80s. It, it definitely happens in the 1980s. Is D&D becomes so established as its own powerhouse of fantasy that it then starts drawing on that style of fantasy to create more media. So D&D fantasy, the genre, becomes the genre of fantasy that D&D emulates. So it kind of becomes like this weird inbred genre. It becomes that, a snake eating itself. It becomes a snake, yeah. It's and and I feel like... It eventually run out of ideas if it doesn't keep pulling from fantasy as a whole and even some science fiction. It'll eventually just be this self-referential nothing. It And that's exactly what it is. And it, it's definitely the case as time goes on that it, it becomes self-referential. I think we're on something. We should probably definitely do something we like. Okay. Um, or not necessarily what we like, but something that like maybe the book does well. Hey, Crispy. Um, Crispy. Yeah. Yes. Hey, Crispy. Say something nice about this book. Um, uh, it 
is made of wood. Wait, no, you said nice, not factual. Um, uh, <laughs> I can't. I literally can't. I hated this book so much. Um, no, there's gonna be more. So, so, like for this, I mean, like, um, it kind of goes with my mindset. Elven coins are rare, minted more as novelties or art objects than as money. So it has this idea. Um, elves don't really dig coins, but then the setting we get in Alfheim is that they use coins all the time. They're just human coins. And I guess, I guess my problem with this book, ah, I'm supposed to be saying something nice. <laughs> it's, it's hard. Um, <laughs> it, it, it really, I think like you'd mentioned it before the show, like the type of gamers that we are, like, yeah. I don't think like I can fully admit this product is not for me. Right. Even though I am on record as like being like elves in my favorite class, I love elves. If I ever have a Magic the Gathering deck, I choose to play elves. Like <laughs> elves are my jam. I can't believe I dislike this book as much as I did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, it's just um, I, I personally prefer the kind of elves that they talk about in the background. The Alfheim town is so antithetical to elves that it becomes less interesting to me personally just because it's not the type of elf I run. I would never have this organized a city. And it, it is very detailed with Alfheim town. Like it, it talks about like what there's a whole thing about what embassies are where and what bars the ambassadors at the embassies who like live in that particular portion of the town go to and if they're friendly to outsiders or not like it, it gets it gets really really detailed and I, I i think it gets detailed in it gets hung up i think on the wrong stuff okay i'm like, going to say would, something um, nice i'm going to say okay. something nice okay i got a nice thing to say about this i think the idea of an elven use name is cool and awesome. Oh yeah, I really like that as well. Fantastic. And I want to adopt it for all elves across the board in my game. The idea that yeah. their magical powers or a portion of their magical powers don't work if you know their real name. Oh, I love that. That's just that's the kind of like fanciful wonderment I want to exist within the elves in my game. And I love that idea yeah. so much. When I read that I was like that's really where I want this to be. Uh, yeah, it, well, it's absolutely like an Irish folklore thing. But also, if you ever read any, um, you know, any like play example of classic D&D, the elves always named like Silverbow or like Greenleaf or like Many Arrows. They're never given like I am Lothlirial of the house uh, Findiel. Which I think is how you pronounce one of the house names. It, it's never that. Like they never have proper names. It's always like a descript. Like I'm, I'm many hunts the elf. Like having that use name is is great. <laughs> Do you have more you like? Because I'm almost ready to like drop the facade and just tear a new one. I don't think. This, I mean, I, I I don't want to think of this as a facade. <laughs> it's a facade for me. I want to think of this as. Uh, you know, how can I be constructive in, in my commentary yeah. on this? Because honestly, me saying I don't like this product without focusing on the specifics of what works and doesn't work in it is is isn't 
information that can be used by someone else to determine if they don't like it. You know, because if I don't yeah. like it, you may love it. You know, it's just, it doesn't doesn't give you any information. I, I mean, there's a lot of stuff I dislike about it. So, I, but I I want to be I still want to be cogent in my reasoning and understanding of that. Yeah, I, I think it's useful as a matter of critique to go. I don't like this because of these reasons. And like, I don't know, you can listen to old reviews that we've done since we took over the show. And we're not negative people. If anything, we're like super positive about these products. But this one is a stinker. Okay, well, I said something good about it. Uh, uh, So uh, I'll say it's real good if you want to play companion rules or expert rules. I like there's a lot here for if you were doing a hex crawl or political intrigue. Um. You know, it, it definitely like definitely details the area. I'm, I guess I'm saying something nice here. Um, it details the area really well, ge- uh, geographical and where the towns are and sort of what things you can find in them. And then it also gives you a really large cast of major players. So if you are, I don't think this is good for the basic game, which is kind of my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. But if you're in the expert rules or in the companion rules, I think there is a lot here that you you could use. I think it is it. it it's more geared towards a higher level play, which is maybe why I don't like it. Well, if one you... thing about the companion rules and it, it being about how higher, higher level play, that is something worth mentioning is this does provide um, an elven level matrix up to level 20. Yes. Um, so that's uh, one reason to, to look into this. If you are playing at higher levels, um, the other thing it provides is an elf specific spell list. That includes both uh, uh, some clerical and druid magic and some magic user spells. I that like is something that. I really did like. I like that a lot. I love the idea that elves will have healing. I think that just yes. to me is very an elven thing. Um, the thing it does that kind of, I mean, I can understand why they did it, uh, but I, I hate that the spell list isn't complete because if you get to any of the druid spells, it says it's the same as the druid spell and then doesn't give you a reference to where to find that druid spell. Also, you have to buy an entirely new supplement to have those spells. So it's sort of an incomplete product. But there are also new monsters in the book that they gave complete stat blocks for. So it's not like they couldn't have. Yeah, I, to me, yeah. The, the, I mean, if it's a cleric spell, they tell you to go find it. The cleric spell, if it's a druid spell, they tell you to go find the druid spell. It, 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 if that was a complete spell list, then this product would have been worth it for that. Because then I could have mm-hmm. printed out that section, and that section would have given me elves to level 20, as well as an elven spell list with all the descriptions of what they do. And instead, I, I basically get a bunch of things that reference me to other works. Um, one thing I didn't like is that some of the spells are kind of stinkers. Like, they're not great. Like, I would never take Analyze. It doesn't perform the function of how I think a magic spell works in basic, where it breaks the rules or gives you a resource uh, for some kind of temporary time. You know, like a light spell gives you a torch that doesn't weigh any more, doesn't do anything in your encumbrance that lasts for, you know, the same amount of time as a torch does. So eventually you get continual light, which gives you a permanent torch Um, or, you know, levitate or floating disc you know something that lets you kind of bend the rules analyze is just like 
testing out how a magic weapon works plus um i, I would have rather if they were giving me AD&D-esque spells i would have rather they just put identify in the game over analyze and maybe i'm over analyzing that got him um but yeah some of the new spells were just like eh. um i'll read analyze here i think so people get an idea of what i'm saying it is a first level spell it is a, it has a duration of one round it's a, got a range of self only or touch only rather um and it analyzes one magic item. It says an elf using the spell can handle one item and learn the enchantment on it. Helms must be put on, swords held in hand, bracelets put on wrists, etc. Any consequences of this action fall upon the elf as usual, though he or she gets the usual saving throw. The elf has a chance of 15% plus 5% per magic user level of determining one characteristic of the item, or of whether the item has no magic at all. The determination is not exact. Pluses on weapons can be characterized as many or few. Charges can be estimated within 25% of the actual number. So the thing that I don't like about that is you, one, waste a spell. Not wait, you use a spell to see if something is magical. And then two, you still have to do all the testing you would do if you didn't use a spell to see if it's magical. So if it's cursed... You can cast analyze and like put the helm on and then boom, like now you your alignment has changed and it's you're also out a spell for the day. I really dislike this spell. I, I yeah. really actually hated this. <laughs> it's like, what's the point? Just give me identify and I can cast identify and it goes, yeah, this is magical. It's cursed. All right, cool. Now I don't like I, I used one of my spells. Today. I used my resources. And I'm I'm out that, but you know I I haven't been turned into, uh, you know a, a chaotic character now. I don't like it either. I mean, it's to me, it's it's essentially how I run determining what magic items do anyway without a spell. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. That's like how you figure out what magic items do in my games of D and D. You pick it up and you swing it at stuff until you're like, oh, okay, I'm I feel like I'm fighting better with this or. Oh, I put this on and I I turn invisible, so now I know what it does. Yeah, what, real what quick. What does this spell do? <laughs> you, yeah, it doesn't do anything in that regard. <laughs> when they are testing weapons to find out if they're magical, and they do like the requisite number of sword swings that you maybe randomly determined just by like feel. Um, do you tell them what it does, or do you keep those things a secret? What I typically do is if somebody enters into combat with an item that they suspect to be magical, um, and I give a, a lot of evidence, like uh, one of the ways I place magical weapons a lot of times in my games is it'll be in a tomb full of skeletons, and all of the skeletons will have rusted swords, uh, ancient rusted <laughs> swords, and one will be pristine and clean. Once they start swinging that sword, I will let them know you feel like you are being guided in your strikes, you are uh, able to fell blows easier, better, as if you were a more skilled warrior than you were. Mm -hmm. And saying that kind of like sparks that imagination. And, and there have been times where I've actually had a sword where um, the idea of it was the previous owner of the sword was helping you fight, um, hmm. essentially, uh, you know, giving you battle strategies in your mind. But at that point, the mechanics are superfluous. Like, yeah, it's a plus two sword. Write down plus two on your sheet. Because 
to me, yeah. trying to hide the mechanics as a way to not think about the mechanics is just going to make somebody really think about the mechanics. So I, I that's kind of what I was asking is like, do you tell him it's a plus two sword? Do you tell him it's plus two with a plus three against goblins? Um, I know like previously, previous hosts have been like, no, you keep that a secret. But um, I have a lot going on on my side of the screen that I'm going to forget that your sword is a plus two. So I just tell people. I'm not I'm worried like, about forgetting about it, but I do think it's just uh, a I think few it's to, silly to a keep it a secret task. I think essentially yeah, what you're, you're doing is more work for yourself. No, I, I mean, I, I think you're actually making a less immersive experience because of it. Hmm. They're not. It, it's not a plus two sword. It is a sword which guides your hand and helps you strike better. Plus they, two they, is they, outside yeah. of this discussion. So I just yeah. have that conversation outside of the game world. I give them the in-game description that is yeah. interesting. And then I go above the game world and say, it's a plus two. Write that down. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, not, I, part I know of, that's not part of the narrative. I know people like to keep that a secret. And it's just like, but why, though? I don't like clearly if you fall into the tomb full of skeletons and all of their blades are rusted, but this one's pristine. Guess what? You found the special sword and that's the cool moment. It's not the cool moment. Isn't like it's you have, you have a 10% better chance of hitting <laughs> and your, your damage does 15.37% more damage. Well, here's what no. happens when you keep it a secret. I mean, every time that die rolls, they think about the fact that they have this secret bonus they don't know. And then they say, I roll a 15 plus whatever the secret bonus is. And then you say, okay, that hit. Oh, well then, if that hit, I can do math. I'll figure it out. Oh, it must be, uh, a, yeah. it must be a plus one sword. Because that normally would not hit an armor class of this. I mean, it's just, it's it's worthless. It's a waste of time. Just tell people this is. <laughs> we're, I, yeah, we're I, I, we're on the same page then. Yeah. Um, with that, this soundtrack um, brought to you by grumpiness. Uh, let's get I, back into it. Say what we were talking nice was, about this, crispy. Um, I liked the elven swords, which are we talked about this before the show, and I was like, I hate when you get a magic item that isn't a magic item. This is like one of the few things where it's just like. I wouldn't have them be magic. I wouldn't have them like be magic for overcoming like resistances and things like that against like undead or ghosts or werewolves. Um, but they have like oak swords. They're basically like <laughs> when you go to the Red and Fair, you buy like a sword for your kid and it's just like <laughs> it's like a wooden practice sword. Yeah. They have those that are made of oak and they do a D6 plus one. And I think that's really cool. I, I, I really love that idea um but i wouldn't make them magical i believe they are magical by the book where it comes from in, in like in game terms for this setting is for the hex crawl aspect of this because it is this is definitely geared towards expert and companion there are a lot of creatures who on, on the um the random monster tables in alfheim in the forests that you can run into that can only be hit by magical weapons. So there, these armaments that are, you know, in this book, they're created specifically for the sort of verisimilitude of like, well, how do 
how do the elves protect themselves from a banshee attack or from uh, 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 a pack of shadows that are menacing, you know, the the smaller towns if they don't have magic weapons? And for me, I would just be like, oh, it's an elven forest. It's full of magic. Elf warriors have like on patrol have magic weapons. So they do have the plus one to hit. And it's like, all right, sure, there are slightly more plus one longswords in the world. But, like, they have, like, elven longbows, which kind of do the same thing. Um, but they just look like longbows. And they have elven arrows that are, like, stone-tipped arrows that do the same thing. But none of them are, like, they're just arrows. You know, it's just a bow. It's not, like, a weird ironwood sword. And the ironwood sword is way more interesting and cool to me than a, an arrow that only exists to overcome damage resistance. Yeah, there, I mean, there are benefits of a, of a wooden sword. Oh, rust monsters. Yeah. yeah. This property of it is interesting regardless of whether it was magical or not. I mean, obviously, a piece of wood that you can fight a sword with is, is magical. Yeah. I mean, it's just there's got to be some sort of uh, uh, mystical nature to it. I mean, the fact that you could fight a monster in the water, drop it, and it'd be floating next to you. That's a benefit of a wooden sword. <laughs> yeah. All the different clans have different sword hilts and different arrow fletchings. I thought that was a neat thing. I would like Alfheim more if it was just a book of different elves that you can plop into your campaign world. Mm-hmm. If it was just like player op- players options elves, I think I would love this book. If it's just like, here's the here's the conservative clan that are like the magic users, and here's like the the real foresty like savage elves, and here are like the, the elves that like typically have more adventures come from them, and have that spread out throughout the world instead of just in one central location. Here's the inherent problem with this for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm setting up my game, and I even if I were someone who was into the idea of having a huge elven city. I like the idea of having a huge elven city and I'm sitting up my game and we've traveled through the human lands and we're, we're crossing the plains and I go and you're about to visit the realm of the elves and they're like, Oh, this will be cool and different. And then they get there and there's dwarves and halflings and humans and elves and the buildings look like human buildings and the layout is pretty much like a human town. You know, what's the point of having the trip to the elven lands and the elven city if it doesn't feel different? I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head because all of my complaints about this, for the most part, are they refer to Alfheim Town. Like, it's garbage. Alfheim Town is such a dumb idea because it's just like... They needed a city for trade, uh, so they made it a human city. And it's like, well, no, they don't need to do that. Maybe they don't. But they're self-sufficient in every other regard. Right. You know, they they breed their own animals for hunting. They create their own goods to barter through one another. They don't need Alfheim Town. I don't understand why it's even there. And the 40 pages or so that like I complained about that are just elven politics and elven taxes and elven trade guilds and the the makeup of the town and the different quarters that are country or race specific are all complaints about alfheim like there's a like the stuff with the clans i i really like the tree of life stuff that's in here i i, I don't care about that that much like it's interesting it's not 
what I would do with my elves. Um, but, you know, even the clan interactions are interesting. But so much of the book is devoted to Alfheim Town. I would not use it. Like, I would, there's a lot in here that I would steal. I know I've repeatedly said I hate this book, but <laughs> I, and I do. Um, but there's a lot in here that I would rip out and just, they're, they're good ideas. They're just really poorly executed. So let's talk yeah. about a couple of NPCs in here, because that's something that honestly anybody could use for any setting. Yeah. I I liked, um, even though I don't like the fact that he's in Alfheim Town, I like the little uh, halfling rumor monger. Oh, Benji Frankfurt? <laughs> he's a halfling in the elven town of Alfheim. I like the idea that there are people who kind of just deal in news. And you kind of, it's a good way to get the players to get to know a character. If this character kind of just uh, has the scoop, has the the information that you might need as somebody who is an adventurer or maybe information about a person you are investigating. That's something you could pull out, just have the stat block in the notes. Um, I will say this, this does provide skills for all of the characters, which is not a part of the game I use. But if you do use skills, all of the non-player characters have that listed on them as well. I really love all of the um, the use names that they used for the different elves. Like there's a, an elf called Brightsword, and that's the, the most metal name uh, I think <laughs> an elf can have. There are a lot of NPCs in this book. A lot, a lot of NPCs. It goes, it's like 20 pages. It's like 20 pages of NPCs. So this, uh, uh, I don't necessarily want to approach this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it and see where it goes. All right. One of the things, like when I was looking through this book, speaking of the non-player characters that I was like, this is not my kind of Dungeons and Dragons, is Urgum the Quiet. Urgum the Quiet to me is like the antithesis of the way I view D and D, because there is oh, yeah. in there's an orc chapter of the city. Yes, there is an yeah. orc area of Alfheim where orcs live and hang out in Alfheim. What? And it's just it's completely the antithesis of the way I view the game, and I think bad for the way that the game handles culture. Yeah, well, weren't the elves like weren't the orcs of Alfheim? That's the that's Gaz Gaz five point five. The orcs of Alfheim. <laughs> um, the orcs of Alfheim were like former slaves that got set free, and then some of them were like, "We want to stick around." And then the elves were like, "Yeah, these guys are pretty cool. We'll give them their own chapter house." But they have essentially the slums. Like, yeah, everything about it is, I think, the absolute wrong way to approach this issue if you were going to approach the issue at all. And I think mm -hmm. the right thing to do is just to make monsters monsters and they don't have a culture or a society or a structure other than violence. They're not, yeah, they're not a people that are disenfranchised. They are these creatures that are the extension of an evil will. I think anytime you try to apply a real world culture to these things you're really muddying the issue in a way that to me seems to be making it worse, not better. If orcs are just another culture 
that can be redeemed and could be uh, taught to integrate whatever that even means, which I think is just a gross way to approach it, then what you've done is make every single adventure you have an absolute just evil human being. I mean, you're essentially emulating the Crusades at that point, which I think a little bit of D&D is, but yeah, I, I don't know. In, in my game world, orcs are spawned, not birthed. They are yeah. just monsters, and, and so are most everything else you come across adversarially. Um, I think I've covered every negative thing I wrote down <laughs> so far. Let's go ahead and cover the adventures section, because uh, the adventure yeah. section essentially allows you a lot of mini adventures, small adventures, but there's an mm-hmm. underlying plot to all of them. Uh, which is actually uh, in it called the plot, like because um, the shadow elves have the plot to take over Alfheim, and the the shadow elves are mentioned in this, and they're in another module, and they end up getting their own gazetteer later in the series. So we'll be covering that at some point. Okay, yeah, because like the I, I see, I didn't know that the shadow elves had their own gazetteer, and I was like, this really kind of like for the book that's about elves, it just really kind of hand waves shadow elves they're mad because you know all the elves went on this like trip to go find a new homeland and the shadow elves thought the world was coming to an end so they burrowed deep into the ground and they're mad that no one ever came and like got them to like come join elven society so this book has uh, all these kind of mini adventures and within it is the um the overall arcing adventure of the Shadow Elves that will take over Alfheim. Uh, and it allows you... It even uh, uh, says you may need to adjust things depending on what other adventures have been made. If there's a uh, companion module 7, I think the it is? The Tree of Life. Yeah, CM7. Um, has been played, then things uh, may be different a little bit. And I, I like the idea that it has a bunch of connected modules with an uh, overall story they're brief um uh to me this is some of the the most content heavy portion of the book as opposed to just um setting um so there's one thing in one of the modules i really want to address and it's the orc hunt where the uh, orc section of alfheim as strange as that is to even exist um uh, you can follow them and get to their orc inn and hide out and observe. And it does what I just want to, I just want to talk to everybody now who runs classic D and D and has thieves in your group. Never run this situation this way ever. Uh, and this is the way it tells you to run hiding from people who are not thieves. If they're a thief, you roll a percentile roll. If they're not a thief, they have to roll under their dexterity or intelligence. Oh, that's awful. That makes your thief just useless. <laughs> now, unless the they fighter get a has neg- a they get a dexterity. negative three on the roll. They get a negative three on the roll, which would mean that's... a <sighs> six dexterity fighter. It is equivalent to a first level thief. It would have to have a, their dexterity would have to be six 
to be as good as a first level thief. I I mean, and I've uh, said this before, I believe on the podcast. If not, I've certainly said it in the discord. Uh, Thieves skills are too low. It's not good the way that thieves skills are laid out. Um, And, and uh, uh, I have different approaches to thieves skills. uh, And, but my number one suggestion for running thieves, when you have thieves in your party is they do the sneaky stuff. And the other party members just do not do the sneaky stuff. It's a class ability. Let them shine in that moment. Um, But if you were to allow someone else to do the sneaky stuff, you can't make them orders of magnitude better than thieves at it. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's enough complaining for this episode. I just want to touch on real quick um, just kind of how the book is laid out. Uh, and not so much like what chapters are there, but um, this is more for if you guys are wanting to print this at home. There is a player handout section. The nice thing about it is that if you were to print this at home, they are a different page color. So they originally printed on green paper instead of white paper. And um, almost every page is watermarked with a tree. Uh, it's it's prevalent in, in a lot of areas. So one thing, if you're going to print this out at home with the player sheets, I would print them out separately. I would just print them out. Um, they are on green cardstock or green green paper initially, or, or, or originally, I should say. Um, if you do print this in grayscale, I tested this out, it looks fine. Uh, so if you're printing it full color, because the book is, I guess, technically full color, there's color on every page. Um, that is something to keep in mind that you would use a lot of ink. Um, but if you wanted to print out the player section um, in grayscale to have as a player handout for your players, uh, it, it does print out really nicely at home. Um, you can get this online from the One Bookshelf websites, Drive Through RPG, RPG Now, DndClassics.com. It is $4.99 for a PDF. It is a watermarked PDF if you care about that kind of thing. Um, scan's really good. I it's super readable, very very clean. It's got all the maps and like fold out maps and stuff like that uh, in the back of it, so you can print the whole book and then just print those things separately. eBay, I don't know. Let's check eBay. Oh my god, uh, this is super expensive on eBay. Uh, I'm looking. First listing is one hundred and seventy nine dollars and forty nine cents. Uh, that's the buy it now price. The one under that is eighty dollars for buy it now. Ninety nine buy it now. So somehow this book w- is super popular and in demand on uh, on eBay. I don't understand it. I think it's a pile of hot garbage. But you know, everyone has their own opinion. Um. Yeah, so uh, Carl, uh, w- would you recommend this product? Um, I see things in here. Maybe I would use. There's a couple of uh, floor layouts. I like having some stuff like that just printed up and in my uh, DM binder that I can just pull mm-hmm. out and be like, okay, here's a tavern. I mean, they even have one that literally says "typical tavern," and there's nothing particularly elvish about it. You could use it for any. Uh, tavern in any human village or halfling village or whatever however you perceive those things to be um 
So I think there for someone who's not really interested in running games in Mastara and not really interested in detailed campaign settings, I think there's still stuff here that can be used. But for me personally, if I uh, didn't own this, it wouldn't bother me at all. But for somebody who's specifically interested in Mastara and wants to run games there obviously this is valuable to that situation um it's just not me i'm kind of in the same boat like i definitely think this this is for mistara fans Mm -hmm. um and people who want the questions of how does the drainage system work or how was this land terraformed or you know how do how does a platoon of elves fight a creature that can only be hit by magic um it answers those questions and it 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 gives you know it 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 gives workable answers for them i i was still able to pull out things that i liked i i i did like the elven cultures i would separate them they wouldn't all be in one country i i I liked the elven longsword i still even then would not recommend this unless you can get it cheap if you're a collector or a, a completionist um, and you're willing to pay those big eBay bucks. Uh, good luck to you, I guess. Um, I would not recommend this unless you fit the very specific criteria I just outlined. I, I think that'll be it for our review. Real quick, let's give you places where you can find us. You can find us on our Discord, the OSR Gaming and Wild Games Productions Discord channel. We'll have a link for that in the show description. If you have any emails, comments, things we missed, if you think we're totally wrong and bonkers and you think this is the just the best of the gazetteers, even, um, give us a write us write us an email uh, questions at saverdie.info. You can reach us on Facebook. We're on there as well. Um, Saverdie Podcast Immortal Edition. And uh, I think that'll be it. Uh, Carl, I am going to read an email this week. Because okay. uh, we did get one that I liked. So this comes from John Salway. He says, hi, folks. In the last Saver Died side adventure, you asked us to email you and let you know if we liked the show. Yes. Well, thanks, John. I'm glad you like those side adventures. I, I do appreciate the email feedback we've received on side adventures and having a couple of uh, short episodes here and now. Uh, the one Courtney and I did uh, got a lot of positive response. The one uh, Chris and I did got a lot of positive response, not only in emails to us, but on various social networks. Uh, speaking of which, uh, OSR Podcasts is a social network that Vince has started on um, MeWe. So if you are part of that group that has um, gone from Google Plus over to MeWe, look for OSR Podcasts on there and uh, join the discussions that we're having on there. I, uh, I'm in there. I, I haven't seen you on MeWe yet. I'm on MeWe. All right. I'm there. I'll have to look. I'm, I'm palling around on the MeWe's. The Iron Realms podcast also wrote in and said that uh, he really liked the um, the side adventure as well. So. And I really like the side adventure. I thought that was a, a great. The one you did with Courtney was really great. And I like the one you did with Chris, but I listened to it at work and I don't remember anything I said. I'm really sorry. But I think that's going to do it for this, the show this week. Um, as we have said and posted on. Oh, hold media. on. Hold on there. <laughs> oh, oh. Hold on. Hold the phone. So, Crispy. Yes. 
We've been doing this bit for a while. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's not great. <laughs> it's not a good bit. I have definitely... We, we've definitely had funnier moments. <laughs> so, I think there's two paths in front of us. We can drop the bit, or we can embrace it. Just so, thoughts. that being said, I wrote us a jingle. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I wrote us a show-closing jingle. All right. Um, now, I haven't actually written it down. I'm, I'm doing this Jay-Z style. Jay-Z never writes any of his songs down. He just memorizes them and then records them. That seems like a lot of work. <laughs> so I only got one shot. Do one not... opportunity. <laughs> I'm filling this with rap references. This is not a rap. It's a jingle, like an old-timey commercial for the end of our show. And it has nothing to do with Dungeons and Dragons, and it has everything to do with pickles. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Just really doubling down on that classic aspect. Yes. So let's uh let's do the jingle I'm super nervous about this. I want you to like this jingle. <laughs> Alright. I have a before you do the jingle. <laughs> okay. Now hear me out on this. I want to hear the jingle. This is not to postpone the jingle. I thought of a third option. It's you know we could we could embrace it, we could drop it, or how would you feel about doing? Because uh, we haven't done one of these since I think like 2011. How would you feel about doing a, a listener contest for a new closing line? I like the idea. I think a contest would be good. I think a new closing line would be good. <laughs> new closing line would be great. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what's a prize that we could even offer for such? I mean, I guess you, um, you get to have the closing line that you decided to be in the show. I mean, I don't know what that's worth to anybody. Yeah, I would definitely be willing to like put, you know, money into giving someone a prize for winning the sign-off line contest. Um, but before we even decide on that, I, I do want to hear the jingle. A cucumber would be mighty fine if it were soaked in a brine. So join me and sing along in my happy snack time song. Don't be fickle. Have a pickle. Keep it classic. Eat a Vlasic! <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, I, I was expecting it to be set to music. <laughs> so I hope what I've done is officially killed. <laughs> yeah, I, um... I think that we should. Uh, I think we should abandon the classic classic. I do too. I, yeah. I thought that for a while. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know. So, uh, bye. <laughs> From now on, our sign off is bye until somebody uh, submits something that wins the contest. All right. Tell you something, brother. The Save or Die Podcast Immortal Edition is a production of Wild Games Productions, brother. It is produced for entertainment purposes only, Jack. All other uses are prohibited, dude. So be sure to visit them at saverdie.info for more information, brother. What you gonna do when the Save or Die Podcast runs wild on you? Ooh.
A cucumber would be mighty fine If it was soaked in a brine So join me and sing along In my happy snack time song Don't be fickle, have a pickle Keep it classic, eat a classic Don't be fickle, have a pickle Keep it classic, eat a classic <laughs>